0: Good afternoon, New Life. My name is Red Seville. I'm the director of New Life CDC. Also in this season, I'm overseeing the creation and growth of missional neighborhood groups. We are in um, a series called Encounters with Jesus. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers can get you one. And then you can turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. The subtitle of this talk is... Uh, mission, fear, and trampling scorpions. Mission, fear, and trampling scorpions. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we recognize your presence here even now. And we ask, Lord God, that by your grace, you cause us to hear the word that your spirit has for us and then that your, that your grace might give us the courage to obey we say, all hail King Jesus. Have your way, have your way. Amen. Amen. And so let's turn there, Luke 10, starting in verse um, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72, uh, that's Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, uh, also called a person, person of peace, and so that person of peace is the one receiving the 72. Um, Your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And then it reads in verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. So the 72 go out, and then when they come back, um, this is the account of what happened uh, when they came, came back in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, Jesus said. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Woo! There's a lot there. It's one of my favorite passages. Luke chapter 10. And so to be on mission, just like the 72, is simply uh, to be able to speak of or demonstrate the love of God through Christ. That's simply what mission is. And this passage shows that an encounter with Jesus actually sends us out on mission. And mission, as you know, is tremendously important. In fact, it was because somebody was missional in your life that you came to know who Christ is, that you got a taste of that forgiveness of God. It's because somebody was missional in your life. And so that's a very significant indication of how important mission is. And because of the actions of uh, a person that's, that was on mission or missional, whether they knew it or not, they were doing it, it's, it's that for that very reason that you're here even Today, And so we recognize the importance of mission. And Luke 10, um, when you read it, you see that mission uh, doesn't have to be overseas. In fact, mission, according to Luke 10, is walking distance. And so mission, again, which is to speak of and to demonstrate the love of God, is for all followers wherever you are. And why do we know that? It's because Jesus sent out the 72. And I'll explain why that means that this is for all. You see, there are some here who think that um, doing mission work is really just for the elite, the preachers, the evangelists, those with seminary degrees. But that's actually from Luke 9, maybe. Because in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, you know, these giants of the faith, and so, if all we had was Luke 9, you could definitely say, hey, this mission thing is really for leaders, the spiritual elite. But then comes Luke 10, where he sends out the 72. And what Jesus is clearly, unequivocally saying is that mission is for all. Amen. Mission is for all. Now, some of you guys might be saying, darn I wish there was only Luke 9. (laughs) But we have Luke 10, which means that we're all meant to be sent out on mission. Now, some of you might be saying, no, for your own very good reasons. uh, you, You don't want to. And I figure that you say that because I've said that myself. And in fact, Jesus is quite aware That people generally don't go how do I know that it's because even in verse 2 he says the workers are few even if the harvest is plentiful he says the workers are few and so he says go even he knows that there is a resistance to going and so just for our time let me define um, harvest uh, just to get us on the same page In farming, harvest means that the crops are ready, right? And so that's harvest time, the crops are ready. In our context, the harvest is simply any place where a person or persons or people, persons of peace, they could be called, are ready to hear about the love of God through Jesus. Not necessarily even believe, but they're ready to hear about the love of God And so in this sense, a family setting could be a harvest. Your school could be a harvest. Your neighborhood block could be a harvest. Your office could be a harvest. It can be anywhere. And here's where Jesus says that there's a problem. Because even if the harvest is plentiful, meaning even though there are many opportunities to be able to tell others about the love of God, there aren't enough messengers. That's what he says. And so why don't his followers go and tell? And maybe um, you can identify with me. I just listed some of the things that keep me from going. And the first is, here are a few reasons why I wouldn't go and maybe you can identify. The first is harvest phobia. There's just this fear of the harvest and with good reason. Look at all these potential causes of fear that Jesus mentions. Jesus said, of all things, he said, I send you out like lambs among wolves. Do you know what wolves have for breakfast? (laughs) Lamb cereal. (laughs) I mean, are you thinking like I'm thinking Jesus needs help giving a pep talk, right? Like, why would he say that? And then there's like talk of demons and Satan falling like lightning and... And then Jesus mentions snakes and scorpions on the picture on the right side. That's the stinger of a scorpion. It looks scary, doesn't it? Why is Jesus talking like this? Of course there will be fear because of the words that Jesus is using. And fear is not meant to be denied. We can acknowledge that there is fear. Fear. In fact, that is a significant part of our spirituality, recognizing that at times we're simply afraid. And that's totally fine. For me especially, this, uh, many of these things have sting, especially for me, rejection. That's one of the reasons why many times I don't go and engage the harvest because I just have this fear of rejection. Can you identify with me? Like you just don't want to go. I remember this one time I was praying for a friend of mine. His, um, the, the, his foot was hurting. And all I simply said, hey, let me pray for you, right? I even took that risk because I know that he's not a believer. And he goes, ah, I don't believe that. And then he walked away. And if I were to be honest, that, that stung. It stung. And so I, I recognize that there's fear. And then there could also be this harvest paralysis, We could be paralyzed because we don't know what to do. We come across someone who might be receptive, but what do I say? How do I say it? When do I say it? And sometimes you're not even allowed to talk about Christ in your context. And so there's that harvest paralysis, and then sometimes there's this harvest amnesia. We just, just, we're just not aware. I know, I know for me, um, you know, I, I, I recognize that environment or even the culture that we're in, it, it causes me to simply forget that there is even a mission field, that there is a harvest. We lo- I can lose awareness because I'm busy, I work long hours, or I'm just tending to other things that are important as well, and so there's this harvest amnesia. In fact, just as a way of um, engaging uh, this harvest amnesia part, my, my wife actually um, did something fun joining other people around the nation who actually set their alarms at 10:02 a.m. and p.m. Do you know why 10:02? Because Luke 10:2 is when Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And so for us, it's a reminder to be able to pray. 10 a.m., 10.02, there's these phones that ring in our homes just as a reminder to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You could join us as well. Just put it on silent in the first service because at 10.02, all these phones will be ringing, (laughs) which may not be a bad thing considering we're on mission. But even though there's a problem, an encounter with Jesus Christ changes everything. Even though there's a problem, an encounter with Jesus Christ changes everything. To the point where fear is overcome and this missional amazement and joy is experienced, just like the 72 experienced this. Because at the heart of Jesus is that all of us in this room overcome all our fears. Not that our fears are canceled because there is, a rec- res- there is a recognition that fear is present. Not that they're canceled, but that fear is conquered. Fear is conquered. And how does this happen? It's simply because of the authority of Jesus Christ working through us. It's simply because of the authority of Jesus Christ working through us. It's the authority of Jesus Christ that allows us, empowers us to overcome fear, and to experience this missional amazement and joy. And so let me unpack that for a little. So as as we saw in the beginning of the, um, the passage, there are so many reasons to fear. And yet at the end of the passage that we read, there is this significant joy, this amazement that the 72 were ecstatic about. And so there was this fear that seemed to transform into joy, what happened? How was this fear swallowed up in this joy and amazement? I want to know because I want some of that. Don't you? What converted that fear? And so what ushered in that joy and amazement is actually in verse 9. This, by the way, is just the question that we're engaging. How, do we encu- how does an encounter with Jesus teach us and launch us on mission. Again, it's the authority of Jesus Christ. And it really comes from this verse, verse 9. When Jesus tells his disciples to announce to the people of God, or to announce to the people that they meet, rather, to these persons of peace, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But well, what's the big deal about that verse? The kingdom of God has come near to you. The significance of that verse is actually quite shocking because it causes the hearers of this statement of Jesus to say, since when, since when did the presence of disciples signal the presence of the kingdom of God? This is shocking for them. First of all, recall in Scripture how there were folks in the Bible who took off their sandals in the presence of God. Recall those instances? And so what Jesus is saying is, you might as well walk barefoot if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because everywhere you go is the presence of the kingdom of God. Let me mention a few things why this is so shocking to them. First of all, what Jesus is saying is that... Oh my gosh, that is shocking. What Jesus is saying is that this is available to new disciples. These are new disciples. These are new disciples, new followers of Jesus Christ, and even they are the carriers of the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And then it doesn't end there. He says that Because they go and the presence of God is present with them as they go, this is shocking because the people who heard this recognize that it is the temple that hosts the presence of God. And so now there's a shift that's taking place because the presence of God is not only found in the temple, the presence of God also follows the believer, the disciple of Jesus Christ, wherever they go. And then there's another significant thing that's happening here. These followers of Jesus Christ have now been given the authority to verbally declare to those that they meet, the kingdom of God has come near to you. When was the last time you went to someone and you said just because you are in close proximity to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you? That's weird, isn't it? But this is what Jesus said. Because of your close proximity to another, the presence of God is near. And you have actually been imparted the authority to verbally say that. This is shocking because previously, only prophets and priests were able to say that. It's only John the Baptist who said the kingdom of God has come near. It's only Jesus Christ that said the kingdom of God has come near. Now Jesus is saying to the 72, when you go, you declare to them the kingdom of God has come near simply because you are there with them. My goodness. This is the significant moment in human history where there is this transfer of authority and power from Jesus Christ to his followers. And then you realize that Jesus Christ is not the kind of Lord who hoards authority. He shares it. He is not the kind of God who hoards power to himself. He gives it away to his followers. And so, this is how the 72 overcame fear they placed their trust in the authority that was imparted to them. And then they walked and they went. And so, for you, recognize that as you follow Jesus Christ in mission, even even in baby steps, Jesus imparts this authority and power to you so that your speech and your hands, your voice, will be used by him to bring healing, to set people free, to make visible the kingdom of God. This is what he's chosen. And then here's, a, here's another aspect that produces joy and produces confidence in mission. And it's actually when the 72 came back. So the 72 returned. They experienced this joy and amazement. And I think, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I think this is where Jesus is cracking up in laughter. Just like on the bottom of that screen, it says Jesus was full of joy when they returned. I think he was cracking up. And I'll explain to you why. I think he was cracking up because, first of all, this is when um, it says that he saw Satan fall like lightning. Um, The 72 said that demons were submitting to them. And here's why I think that Jesus was cracking up. Remember how Jesus said that he sends them out like lambs among wolves. When the 72 came back, They realize that in the kingdom, wolves submit to lambs. Wolves submit to lambs. Isn't that fantastic? And it's not because of the power of the lambs, it's because hovering over every single lamb, over every follower of Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd Jesus Christ with his big stick (laughs) of authority and power. This is what brings confidence. This is what propels us on mission and overcomes fear. So I want to show you this quick video. Um, this video is actually one among um, many instances. And it's, um, it's, it, it shows what happened and what can happen uh, when somebody steps out on just these simple steps of mission. This video actually shows what happened it just happened right outside a building um, on our porch. There are these regular new lifers who came across a woman who was having, uh, complaining about restriction of motion um, on her arm, and so these new lifers prayed for her, um, and she was so moved and shocked about what happened. Um, I want you to check it out. Yeah. Yay. And so what what happened to this woman? What happened to her? The kingdom of God came near. And you see how she said, you must be a pastor because you're doing this. I'll tell you a secret. We're all pastors. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the authority of Jesus Christ working through you. And so let me just give some, um, these are some simple baby steps on how you can practice this missional muscle. The first um, is up there, go to those who receive you and not resist you. Jesus, uh, in verse 10, highlighted there, uh, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, he says when, he doesn't say if. In other words, he says, you will be rejected. How does that make that easier? You know what he says after he says that? He says, leave. Move on. They're not ready. It's not your job to make them ready. That's the work of God. You move on. Notice Jesus didn't say, if they resist you, you better stay and have debate with them until your face turns blue. No. No. He says, move on, leave. It's, it's, like that, it's like that harvest. Have you ever heard or seen a farmer yell at crops because they're not ready for harvest? <laughs> you, know what a, you know what a farmer does? They leave. And then they come back when the harvest is ready. You simply speak to those who are willing to speak to you. If they're not, move on. Nod your head if that's easy. Oh, I could do that. You could do that. Second, speak peace over them. What happens after peace is spoken is wonderful and even very eye-opening, jaw-dropping in this passage. And so when when Jesus, Jesus says in verse 5, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest in them. If not, we'll return to you. And so what what Jesus is saying is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we choose to obey his command to go on mission, we can actually speak peace over a place. It could be over a house, just like what this is talking. It could be over a workplace. You could speak peace over a school because of what Jesus Christ is saying. And then something powerful happens. According to the words of Jesus Christ, Peace doesn't rest on the physical structure. It doesn't rest on the furniture of an office. It rests on the people there. And so it says, first, say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace or a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. You didn't know it, but you are a UPS woman, a UPS man of packages of peace. Peace is something like a gift or a package that you can actually bring to where you go as a follower of Christ. And there's a peace that is left there upon your declaration. This is powerful. And so here's an application how many times have you been in a conversation when someone tells you about their problem? Put your hand up. Somebody told you about a conflict or a problem that they have personally or professionally. That's a great, that's an open door for speaking of peace over that person. All oh, you can simply say as a baby step. Can I pray for peace over you? If they say no, what do you do? You move on. But if they say, sure, and many of them will, you speak peace over them. Why do I say many of them will? This world longs for peace. Especially now when there's so much hate in our culture, this world longs for peace. Now, the third. Simply, this for me is the hardest. Stay with those, stay with the willing. In verse seven, he says, stay there. Jesus says, stay. The the reason why this is hard for me is because I might meet someone who's receptive and then for my own kind of selfish reasons, um, I don't stay in that relationship. I just kind of move on to take care of my own stuff. Or sometimes I meet someone who might be interested in learning more in the harvest. They want to learn more and hear about the love of God. I, I'm, I have a, more of a tendency to outsource this relationship. I'll give you an example, and maybe you can identify with me. I'll meet someone, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor who might be receptive to hearing about Christ. I say, fantastic. And then what do I do next? I bring them to church. And the reason why I realize I do that is because many times I don't know what to do. What do I do now? And plus, I'd rather outsource this relationship to a young Puerto Rican lead pastor. (laughs) Or maybe hear some really great music so that instead of me staying in a relationship, they stay in the church instead. But notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, when you go out into the harvest and you find someone who's willing to listen, If you come across a person of peace, bring them back to me so they hear great preaching. (laughs) He didn't say that. He didn't say, Why don't you come with me so you can hear, so that they can hear really great Hebrew worship music? He said, Stay. He said, Stay. Why? Because he chooses to use your hands and your speech to manifest the kingdom of God, demonstrating to them that you meet that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And notice that all that the 72 were excited about, all happened outside of the church building. Lord forbid, outside of a Sunday service. Now, it doesn't mean that inviting is wrong. I do that as well. But there is more for the follower of Jesus Christ. There is more. And so I, I recognize that um, it's easy for me to say, um, if you choose to choose to stay in a relationship, sometimes it is hard to figure out, what do I? What do you do next? And we recognize that at new life, and so we've set up equipping environments. Um, Pam and Rick are here. Raise your hand. Pam and Rick. You know, they're part of the Leadership for Inner Healing and Deliverance community, which teaches us how to stay in a relationship with a person who really needs to hear and experience the freedom and the love of God. And then also, starting in August, August 4th, for five consecutive Sundays, there is going to be a five-session training for those who are interested in learning more, how to use your missional muscles. It's going to be during third service for five consecutive Sundays starting August 4th. And so just attend one of the earlier services and you can come to that. Now, just going back to this. I recognize that um, I've given simple, um, good advice. But here's the challenge with good advice. Good advice doesn't really last. Good, Good advice is like an energy drink. Like you feel motivated, you go... And then the motivation can fizzle. You know, it sustains a life on mission, that cures any amnesia and defeats any fear, is good news. It's good news. And let me explain. Let me explain what I mean here. So you'll see there, um, heaven's representative came. Peace was gifted. Presence of God, uh, presence of heaven remain. This is actually what the persons of peace. Experienced. This is what they received from the 72 going to them. The good news is that just as the 72 went to the persons of peace, Christ did the same thing with you. Christ, the good news is Christ's presence has come into your life. And the other part, is that he doesn't just come? Just as the 72 went to these persons of peace and they spoke peace over that household, Jesus has come into your life and has spoken peace over your life. How? How did that happen? Well, remember that time before you gave your life to Jesus when you knew that you were distant from God because of your sin, because of the wrongdoing that you have committed. And you knew that you had just strayed. Do you remember that time? It was at that point that heaven came. It was at that point that Jesus Christ rang your doorbell, letting you know that peace is available for you. And then there was something that happened when you said yes to him. When you said, yes, God, I confess my sin, I turn away from it, and I receive you as my Savior, as that Prince of Peace. There was something that happened. And it happened at the cross. What happened at the cross is that there was an exchange that took place. Jesus said, I will take take your sin and the punishment of your sin upon myself. I will take that thing that serves as a barrier between you and God. Whatever that barrier is, I will take it upon myself. And instead, I will give you peace with God the Father. And so you see that Jesus didn't, he didn't just bring peace. Jesus Christ paid for it. He paid for it. He paid for it spending and sacrificing his life. And so this peace is actually the peace of the greatest price tag. What does that have to do with amnesia? Is it not true that the gifts that are hardest to forget are the gifts of the greatest price tag. If I told you for a sec, if I told you, I want to give you a three bedroom condo that overlooks Central Park. (laughs) And I said, I paid for it, but it's yours. Chances are, you will never forget that gift. Chances are, your whole network will hear about that gift the eternal peace of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection is worth more than many a condo. It's worth more than any of that. How can we not speak about this peace of great price? How can we not offer it to other people as well? And so some at this point might be saying, when you go out into the harvest, you will, just like I have, you will come across people who say, I've found peace in something else. This used to be really difficult for me because I used to say, no, you haven't. But Jesus Christ never said that. Jesus Christ never said that there will be, Jesus Christ never said that he's the only source of peace. You've got to look it up. John 14, 27. Jesus Christ recognizes that there will be other sources of peace. But you know what Jesus does? He says, in essence, he says, make a comparison. He says, the world or others might bring you peace. But Jesus says, my peace is far superior because my peace lasts forever. And so now when I come across um, um, someone who says, you know, I've found peace in something else. I simply, I don't argue with them. I simply invite them to compare. I invite you to compare another person who offers peace. And I leave it at that. Because Jesus can take care of himself. And so this is how This is how I've come to realize uh, other, other religions or other sources offer a peace that is achieved through the ritual and sacrifice of imperfect people. Christianity is this only faith with peace received from God through the sacrifice of a perfect savior on behalf of imperfect people. I simply invite them to make this comparison. And if you're here today, maybe you were invited by a Christian friend of yours um, and you belong to a different faith, Um, this is no offense to you. This is simply an invitation to compare. If peace is truly what you long for, then you need to look and hear and read the words of Jesus Christ who also offers peace everlasting. And so here's this last piece of good news. And it is this last piece of good news that hopefully is the last nail in the coffin of fear. And it actually comes from these last verses in 16, 17, 18. Again, we talked about how there are um, many sources of fear that Jesus talked about. In, in um, verse 16, there's this emotional, psychological fear of rejection. In 17, there's a spiritual fear of demons continuing into 19 this spiritual fear with Satan. And then there is this fear in verse um, 19, this physical fear of snakes and scorpions. And then there's this really strange statement that Jesus makes. He says, nothing will harm you. What is Jesus talking about? Because all those things I just mentioned bring harm. What does Jesus mean when he says nothing will harm you? What kind of power is Jesus talking about that causes us to be fearless? Don't you want some of that? What is this power? And what he's talking about simply is in the bottom of that screen where it says, your names are written in heaven. He doesn't say that the source of fearfulness, he doesn't say... Don't don't rely, he says, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Even though that's not really bad, right? Like, that sounds fantastic. But Jesus says, don't rely on that. He says, the source of your overcoming fear, the source of your courage and power and authority is the fact that your names are written in heaven. How? When he says that your names are written in heaven... It means that your eternal future is secure with Christ in heaven. That is crazy. And then he says, if you look at the grammatical tense of the word, your names are written, he doesn't say that your names will be written in heaven when you do good. He says your names are written in heaven. It's present tense. And so what he's saying is, don't, don't rely on the fact that demons submit to you. Don't rely on your own accomplishment. Rely on my accomplishment, on the peace that I purchased for you on the cross. And that's why your names are written. Don't rely on what you could do. You rely on what I did for you. That's what he's saying. You can Clap. And so, the fact that your eternal future is secure because you've turned from your sin, because you've received Christ as the Prince of Peace, because you've received Him as Savior, this is not meant to be an escape for things on earth. See, uh, I'm going to heaven. And it's not meant to be a license for you to do anything you please. This assurance of being in heaven is meant to be a boost to your courage on mission because you've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose. Your names are written in heaven. And that's why Paul was talking about this. That's why Paul had the courage, had had, uh, the fearlessness to overcome what he did. And this is what he wrote, he says, in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, O scorpion, O fear, is your sting? What Paul is saying is I can face anything on the mission because I've nothing to lose. My name is written in heaven. And so let this be the source of your courage, your fearlessness. As well. We recognize that there's fear in the mission field, but your names are written in heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so you have nothing to lose. Amen. And so let's call the worship team up. I just want um, um, mention, to mention some um, practical next steps as well here for us. There are small groups that go out um, with this evangelistic outreach. Uh, um, Shelley Kornblau, he, he's one of them. And maybe this is a time for you to practice going to the willing. Not to practice debate skills, practice going to the willing. And then as well, there are, um, there's, this, there's the course Alpha where we talk about um, and discuss life's basic questions. And it's a place where you can stay in relationship or speak peace over a person. And then also, um, there is this community, the inner healing and deliverance, like I mentioned earlier, so you can practice what it means to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ in setting people free. And then also, there's the missional learning community, which is like a fusion of many of these concepts put together. And this missional learning community is for folks that want to take it slow, You recognize that this is for you. But you don't know how to proceed. And so this learning community could be for you. Again, there's a five-session training starting in August 4th on Sundays, five consecutive Sundays. And they really serve as a prep for um, MNGs, for missional neighborhood groups. And so would you stand with me as you sing? Father in heaven, just as we sing in this moment, God, we pray that you cause this empowerment to rise up in us based on your authority, based on the power that you impart to us, Lord. Fill us even as we sing. Amen. Let's sing together. Amen.
1: passion in my heart is stirring in my soul To see the nations bow for all the world to know I'm living for your glory on the earth For the sake of the world burn like a fire fire in me, again, the world. for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me, light a flame in my soul for every eye to see, for the sake of the world. a fire in me for every tongue to confess that you alone are the king you are the hope of the earth burn like a fire in me for every need to bow down for every heart to believe, for every voice to cry out burn like a fire in me for every tongue to You alone are the king, you are the hope of the earth. fire in me, light a flame in my soul for every eye to see, for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me.
0: You know, so I could be pretty intense, right? One thing I didn't mention is that I have never had so much fun in the mission field, locally. Because I never would have thought, look, I don't, I don't have a Bible degree, I don't have a seminary, I never, didn't go to Bible school, I didn't... But, but to, to, to see just the Holy Spirit and the Kingdom of God working through your own hands is, is unbelievable. And we recognize that there's fear, but there's also the the authority that comes by placing trust in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, just a few invitations. So, I wanna invite those who are uh, giving out communion um, to come to my right and also the prayer folks on my left. The communion table, let me switch it today. Let me call it the mission table. Because every week you can go and address this harvest amnesia. Because when you go, you recognize and and remember the body broken for you and the blood poured out. Mission is not only something you do, mission was something done to us by Jesus Christ. And so you come and remember. And Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Come to the mission table, also the communion table. And then there, there are some of you you realize that you're not sure if, you're, if your name is written in heaven. You're not sure. Or, or you recognize that your relationship is not right with God. I want you to know that even now, the kingdom of heaven comes near to you. He is knocking at your door even now. And I hope that you're not like me. You know how some, sometimes the doorbell rings? I know I do this in my house and I don't answer it. I just kind of let it ring. Please don't do that today because the presence of Jesus Christ is ringing your doorbell and you can answer him today by receiving him. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Maybe you're not sure that your name is written in heaven and you want to be. Or maybe you want to get right with God. And it's not, a the being right with God is not based on your actions. That's like saying, before I go to a shower, I need to be clean. Being right with God is not about your actions. Being right with God is about placing your trust in what Jesus did for you. And so if that's you, I want you to raise your hand, because you can go and do that today to the prayer team. Father, I pray for this man even now. We join in a prayer for this man, Lord God. Thank you for his courage and coming forward. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Turn from your sin and receive Christ that you may experience eternal peace that comes from Jesus. And so, brother, later on, you can receive additional prayer there to my left. And so would you just bow your head with me as I pray a blessing over you? You know, there's a reason why the 72 did not have their names named. In Luke 9, they named the 12, but the 72 had no names. And it's like Jesus is saying, I have chosen these no-name believers to host and to carry my presence wherever they go. The modern day 72 is in this room now. And so if that's you, if you say, I am willing, I'm willing to be sent by him, I want you to raise your hand as well as your heads are bowed and as we're praying in this moment. I am willing, not relying on my strength or my ability, but resting in your authority, Jesus. And so, Father, hear, hear us, hear our hearts see these hands raised. And so just with your hands in a posture of receiving as you know how, may God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he fill you and flood you with peace, with his power and his authority as you go on mission in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen, God bless you everyone.